Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him, Jesus, to be received up. That's talking about his assignment for the cross. That he steadfastly, he steadfastly, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they, the Samaritans, did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also, I mean, Jesus is trying hard to get people to follow him. So he said, another also, also, he said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid, bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is Chuck Full. I don't know how far we're going to get tonight, but Chuck Full of Revelation. I just have noticed that the older I get, <clears throat> the more I realize I do not have time for distractions in my life. How many know what I'm talking about? Time is, is a precious commodity. And when you're young, you don't really respect that as much. I'm not saying you young people don't respect time. I'm just saying that you get more respectful uh, at, uh, about it when you get closer to the end of your life. You're like, okay, you know, I only have so much time to live on this planet because it's, uh, it's appointed to every man to die. And so it gets real serious to us. Procrastination, church, is the enemy of your stewardship of time. I just came up with that with this one today, that it is an actual enemy to what your time is, but the stewardship of that time. And to be honest, I just don't worry about the things I used to because I haven't the time afforded to me to be worried about it. So when I was younger, things would get under my skin a lot more. People have told me in this church, Pastor, you've changed over the years. I said, what do you mean? You used to be mean. I said, I was mean. I never saw myself as mean. You were like, chop, chop, get it done. Come on. If you get in my way, I'll run you over. Better get out of my way. You're going to get a track on my foot. Come on, on your back. Come on. And you were like that. And I said, I was. I, I guess I never thought about it like that. And he said, but you've really mellowed out. And sometimes maybe I mellow out too much, praise God. But at least I'm recognizing that there are things that I used to be so concerned about, so worried about, um, thinking about, would be obsessive about in my life that just doesn't matter. Touch your neighbor say, everything's going to work out just fine. Just tell them. Everything's going to work out just fine. You should have been dead 10 years ago, y'all. Come on, somebody. But you're still breathing. You're still kicking. You're still here. I have, a chest, I have a list of things that I check off that I say, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to let that anger me. I'm not going to let that steal my joy. 
I'm not going to let this rob my time. Come on, somebody. I just don't have, a, I don't have the energy to put forth into that anymore because I respect the time that I've been given. And church, the Bible says we are actually to redeem our time, not waste our time. We got so many people wasting their time on things that doesn't matter, especially things in our thought life. So if, if that's true, then why do you get all caught up in somebody else's business when it's got no business of yours at all? Come on, y'all, and help me tonight. <clears throat> if, if that's the truth, then why do we get caught up in other people's stuff? When we, we should know in our hearts this is not something that we're supposed to be involved in. We begin to fight other people's battles. Well, you know, that's my boo. He my boy. I got his back. Come on, somebody. But that boo and that boy keep falling. How, have you ever had a friend in your life, all you wanted was a peaceful night out? Come on, somebody. And they got to be irritating to somebody. And they draw you into stuff you don't want to get involved in. Especially old days, y'all used to drink back in the old days. I said the old days. The old days you used to drink. And go to the bar, and all you want to do is relax and chill. But you had num that one person that you brought with them, they got to be Superman every time they take two drinks of beer. And they're causing fights, and now they're drawing you into a fight because you got to back your boy. And all you want to do is have a peaceful night, and everybody went to jail. Come on. Okay, I'm just talking about myself then. Praise God. And he told my wife, I said, honey, please, please. Back when the days where you could smoke in the restaurant. You know, because that, the, you, millennials, you don't know that you could actually smoke in a restaurant at one time. It was crazy. It was nuts, man. But we didn't know. We just thought that's what everybody did. And they had a partition, and this was the smoker section. Come on, somebody. And there was a small, short window right here. Come on, somebody. Remember that Omegas? Omegas had those little windows. They still got them. And you said, I, I don't want to be in the smoking section. I'll be in the non-smoking. And they were smoking right here. Come on, somebody. And you said, and, not, and you could see them smoking, and the smoke just come all over on you. Come on, somebody. And my wife would be like, oh, oh, oh. My wife, she hates cigarettes. She hates cigarettes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I said, please, honey, that guy is six foot four. Come on. Don't draw me into a battle because I'm going to have to defend you. Come on, somebody. And I don't know how many punches I get in before he knocks me out. Come on, somebody. <laughs> so so I, I, I'm just saying we can't get caught up in stuff we shouldn't get caught up in after all. Amen. I also noticed that the older I, I have gotten, <laughs> the less filter I got in my mouth. <laughs> I used to think about things before I said them. Now I got a certain age. Come on, somebody. I just tell you like it is. Amen. I remember walking in some place. This guy kept running me around in a store. And, and I, said, I said, look, listen to me. Here's what you're going to do. He just looked at me. His eyes got real big. He goes, okay. And I told him what to do. And he just did it. Come on, somebody. In other words, I ain't got time to mess around. I know you're not trained yet, but I'll show you how to just listen to me. I'm the only one, praise God, I'm the only jerk ever lived in the face of the earth. I got people all the time, Pastor Pruitt, do you remember me? No. I used to go, yeah, I think I know who you are. And I didn't have a clue who they were at all. Now it's like, no, I don't remember you. Help me out. I don't remember you. Oh, I came, remember I came that one time in 2003? You came one time in 2003. We had hundreds of people there, and you want me to believe that I know who you are. I love you, but I don't know you. So I don't even put on the face for that anymore. I just said, I don't know who you are. When Jesus started out his ministry, he would allow certain distractions that he would not tolerate at the end of his ministry. For instance, the marriage at Canaan and how they had run out of wine. Y'all know the story. And so 
Jesus' mother's there. The whole family's there. It's a big gathering. And, and it was a shameful thing to run out of wine too soon when the party hadn't been over. It was like a big celebration, this, this marriage celebration. And Mary came to him and said, uh, Jesus, they're out of wine. And he looked and says, he says, woman, he says, my hour has not come or my time has not come. I, I don't know what to tell you. And she goes, okay. And she walked, you know how women are, they just kind of, mm, okay, let's walk away. Leaving you with that, oh, I got to answer the problem. Here we go. And so Jesus goes, it wasn't his time, but he says, well, I tell you what, give me six pots of water, fill them with water, rather pots fill them with water. And he says, and watch this, and he turned the water, I'll do it. I'll just do it. So he would put up with things early on, that was his first miracle, that he wouldn't put up with afterwards in his life. And I'm going to get to that, that in just a moment. Verse 51 says, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up. In other words, the time hadn't come in Canaan, but now the time had come. He ain't messing around. That he steadfastly, when he knew his season... Catch this, somebody. When he knew his time, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. How many of you do, you do you think would know the time and the season that God's got you in? And when he's got you in a time and a season, I could preach this all night. That means the opportunity is about to come. It's about to present itself to you. And I find so many people that don't recognize the opportunity when it comes. And they pass them right by because they weren't prepared. They didn't get focused. They were too distracted with other things in their life. And therefore, when it came and presented itself, they didn't recognize it to be God. And then 10 years later, they go, God, you never opened a door for me. That's not true. Every year he's tried. And because you're so worried about all these other things and distracted, you don't see it. So Jesus said, I know my assignment. I know what I'm called to do. i got to set my face steadfastly. i got to get focused. No more distraction. Can't fill the water pots up right now, Mom. i got something i got to do for God. He was on a mission. you got to get focused to fulfill the mission and the assignment God gives you. How many wants to see the mission come to pass in your life, the purpose of your life? you got to get focused. Don't miss your moment. There's always a convergence that happens where God says this person opens that door, puts this group of people in your life, says these words to you, and then you got to put it all together. He won't do it for you. you got to put it all together. But if you're not hyper-focused, if you're not on that thing, you'll miss the opportunity, because you simply won't recognize it when it shows up. Amen, somebody. Let me just say, when God gets ready to give you your greatest assignment, your greatest blessing, and set the pace and set the standard for the next season of your life, it can't be done by you with indifference or half-heartedness or with an attitude, hey, that sounds pretty cool. Man, you can't act like that. That sounds pretty cool, God. You've got to show some passion. You got to show some enthusiasm. You got to show some heart in this thing. You got to get real with God and say, Lord, what is it I got to get out of my life so I can move ahead? I can't have all these weights on my life in order to run this race with endurance. I got to get rid of the weights in my life. You'll never know the power available to you until you really, truly set your face to do it with perfect focus. No more games. No more one day, God. 
No more, I'll get to it soon enough. No more excuses. No more delaying. No more overriding emotions in your life. Letting your, in other words, letting your emotions control every aspect of your world. Come on, we're better than that. We're called by God not to walk through our emotions. Come on, but by faith. Everything's by faith. Faith don't got a goosebump. I'm preaching pretty good now. Faith don't feel good. Faith, oh, I feel, that ain't, that ain't faith. Faith is saying, I know what God has said. I've set a standard in my life by which I will walk this path, and I'm going to do it every single day. If it hurts me, if it blesses me, no matter what, rain, shine, snow, cold, hot, I'm, come on, somebody. Until you set your face, you won't give your tithe and offering because you always see money as something that you deserve and nobody else does. Until you set your face. If I'm not preaching here on a Sunday or a Thursday and you find out about it, you just stay home because, you know, well, he's not here. If, unless you set your face, when you see a person at church that takes you off or wronged you in some way, well, I just can't go back to church now because you know, I don't want to see their ugly face. Come on, somebody. Until you set your face, the smallest offense will drive you out of this church, out of the will of God for your life. Until you set your face, you'll run with the wrong crowd or a crowd, and that crowd decides to pack up and leave. You're the first one on the bus with them. And by the way, that's the problem with those people. We run in packs. We shouldn't run in a pack. Come on, somebody. No, no, no. Always going with the pack. Well, they said this and they said that. Come on. You better find out what God says to you. And you're going to stand alone, honey. You stand alone. Stand firm. Because you can't be led by people. You got to be led by the Holy Ghost. Well, all my friends left the church, therefore I'm going to leave too. Then you were never committed to the will of God. You were more committed to your friends. Did you pray about that? Did you ask God? Amen. Amen. Now, Jesus had a bunch of people following him, but, but few. And I, I, maybe I'm going to be preaching to the choir tonight. Maybe I'm going to preach to people that don't really think this pertains to them. I don't know. But when I read this story, it impacted me this way. Few people actually got him. They just didn't get Jesus. Jesus would say stuff, and they just weren't on board with him. It's hard to put your life into people that don't get you. It's hard. I'm not talking about just in this church, me to you. I'm talking about you also with the people in your life. It's hard to lead people who just don't understand you and understand where you're going. I was praying the other day, and I said, Lord, why did you make me a forerunner? And I didn't say that to pat myself on the back because, to be honest, mainstream pastors not forerunner pastors, but mainstream pastors, they grow big churches, have lots of income coming in, have great influence within their city. And God spoke to me, he said, son, do you want the influence of man or do you want the influence of heaven? Which one would you like? I said, well, Lord, I guess the right answer is the influence of heaven. <laughs> and, but the truth is, he called me to be a forerunner. There's a lot of things I've done that nobody else did, or when they did it, they got killed and nobody remembers it, but we're still standing. Come on, somebody. And so I'm leading the charge in a different way. I don't always necessarily go with the vein or the mainstream of what the church is doing. And there are some days I wish I just could. To me, it would be much easier. I would rather go and be understood than misunderstood. But I'm going to tell you something. If God gives you a promise in his word, you got to step out by faith. There may be people in your life that just misunderstand you and misunderstand what you're trying to achieve. 
But let me make this statement. Forerunners are outside the protection of the mainstream. That way you can't get your protection from them because you don't run with that crowd. They didn't got your back. But the God of heaven does have your back. And so now the forerunners, they're the people on the fringe. Everybody say the fringe. And the fringe isn't always a bad place. It's a misunderstood place. It's a place of misfits where people just don't quite fit in. It's where John the Baptist had his miracle. And on Sunday, I'm going to teach you more about the fringe and how the enemy attacks people, especially those who live on the fringe. They're the ones that point the way and say, this is what God's saying. Everybody else is saying, God says peace. And they've they got a prophet out there saying, God says war. And everybody goes, I like peace. I'm staying inside, I don't want to stay inside here. I like the mainstream. It's safer. Come on, somebody. But how can I prophesy or say something that God did not say so I can make people feel good? That, that's not what God does. If it feels good, great. If it don't, great. doesn't matter. It's still God. And everything will work together for our good. So I say amen to that. Just to keep it real, I, I despise feeling like I, I give my all for some folks only to see them not change and go right back into the same mess over and over again. As a pastor, as a leader, that is the thing that probably gets me the most. When I see people that are not changing and been here for years and still talk the same mess. They were talking 10 years ago. Same, same drama, same everything. At some point, you got to grow yourself up in him. We can't keep burping you. Amen. It's hard to burp a 35-year-old. Come on, somebody say amen. <laughs> so Jesus is now going to Jerusalem here in the story, and he wants to rest in Samaria, the same place he gave his life to. If you study the scriptures, he gave his life to Samaria in order to minister to them. But when he needs Samaria, Samaria doesn't want him. When he needs to be able to have a place of sanction, a place of peace, a place of rest. Samaria says, we have no room for you here. That's why he said, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was speaking to Samaria. I've ministered to them. I have I've healed them. I have um, preached to them. I have caused great miracles to happen. I've raised their dead, and now they're telling me they have no room for me because it wasn't politically expedient for me to come because I might cause a riot or some other situation, and they just wanted me to pass on by and go, we'd like to help you out. Isn't that just like some folks? We'd like to help you out, but, you know, we got this thing right now, and we don't want to cause a problem, and my friend don't like you, and that might cause a problem with me, and so I just don't want to. Come on, somebody. So we give our lives to things that don't come back to us, but just trust me on this. God still sees it, and God still knows. And at the end of the day, he's going to bless you regardless if people do or don't bless you. Come on. They want everything you can give them, but when you need them, they're not there to help you out. That way you understand, know off the bat, that's okay. You can't rely upon man, but you can always rely upon God. And by the way, I'm no different than anyone else. I'll let you down. I'm just a man. You will let me down because you're just a human being, right? So at the end of the day, we all have to trust the Almighty God. James and John, because they saw this and there was no room for Jesus to be in Samaria, he, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire like Elijah did and consume them all, kill them all? Jesus like, calm down. 
I mean, we just couldn't get a hotel room. I mean, my God, relax a little bit. He's actually saying, you don't know what manner of spirit you of. Come on, hush up. Come on. So, isn't it like some people, when we don't give them what they think they should get from us, they want to kill us? Take us out? Get us in a place where we're always, we're, we're always on the defense? Jesus says, calm down. Don't think that way. Let me just say, most of God's people focus on the doing rather than the being. I'm going to say it one more time. Most of God's people focus on the doing rather than the being. And that was the law of the Old Testament. The law was given to show you what to do. There's what you do and here's what you don't do. But the New Testament says this. See, in the Old Testament, you had to be a doer. In the New Testament, you had to be a beer. Because the New Testament says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Come on, somebody. So when I am just being in Christ, I become something new. And then my doing, everything about my doing begins to change. But the doing doesn't get me in better graces with God. It's the being in Christ that puts me in a, a perpetual a place of favor and blessing with the Almighty. You've got to be this thing called Christianity. you got to be a believer. You don't act like one. I ain't getting no help tonight. You're not trying to act like somebody. You're not trying to get all the Christianese down so you sound real spiritual. And I go to church once a month, therefore I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. you got to be in Christ 24-7, 365 and a half days out of the year. Come on, somebody. And the doing part without the being part will put you in a place of distraction. One after the other because you still think, well, I just did this, but I don't feel any closer to my breakthrough. I don't feel like God's got my back. I don't feel like this, thing's, uh, this thing is um, moving in my direction. Well, you're still going by the doing. And the doing will never add up to the, the having. It's the being, the being, the being. I live this way. This is my life. I'm a man of prayer. I'm a man of God's word. I'm a man after God's own heart. I'm, I, you see, I'm a man in his that, that begins to change the game because now I'm saying this is who I am, not what I've done. I have so many pastors. It's so boring. I get in these little coffee clutches sometimes and talk to the pastor. And it's such boring conversation. I hardly go. Why? I'm bored. I told you I want to redeem my time. I waste my time. Why? Because all these pastors want to do, bless their heart, I love, I love them all. I really do. I don't know if they even notice it. They don't notice it. They talk about what they do. I did this last year, and we raised this money, and we did this, and we have this amount of uh, uh, money coming in, and this amount of people coming to our church, and, and it's because we did these activities, and we have these functions going on. It's all the doing, 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 because that makes them feel like they're somebody. Nobody at the table is talking about, man, I spent time with God. Let me tell you what God has been showing me. Let me share with you what God said to me tonight. I'm and I, I, was, I was involved. And I'll tell you what another thing pastors don't do, and this is probably one of my faults because I, I err on the side, is they don't tell what really is going on behind closed doors. I want to be led by somebody who is going to be more vulnerable and more open and not say, you did all these things and you look like Mr. Perfect and I'm living my life over here and I don't feel like I'm perfect at all. I'm a screw up. I'm a mess up. 
I want to hear the preacher say, I'm, I've been a screw up most of my life too, but here's what I did to get out of that problem. I, I, I want the guy to lead me out of my mess because he's been in one. You want to get a real message? Get a mess. Amen, somebody. But perfection is not, is not something I would like to follow. So I, I'm just trying to set the stage for the second part. I'm only going to spend just a couple more minutes on this. I wonder if Jesus ever felt regret over having poured into folks who just didn't get him or didn't get it. And I can't help because ever since I mentioned that the other day, it really weighed heavy on me about the 10 lepers and 10 get healed, one comes back. One. One. Only one out of 10 come back and say, thank you, Jesus, for healing me. And the nine went on like, yeah, you kind of owed it to me. Hey, guys, please, I, I want to tell you the truth. You know, maybe I should have somebody else talk about this and not me. They say you should have somebody else tell these things to your church and not you because they won't receive it from you. But I believe you will receive it from me. I don't want to be a pastor of people that always take, 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 take and never have any desire to give back and be thankful. I ask y'all, and you're here, so I'm not talking to you, but I ask the church, come Thursday night. Where are they, man? We got to move a God's spirit. This place ought to be packed. And by the way, I'm not saying that in a negative because God already told me it will be. It's coming. That's coming. And he's doing more in the church right now than outside the church, but it's coming. You walk, mark my words. If you don't get here 30 minutes early, you won't get on a Thursday night. And packs, two pack services on Sunday morning, going to three. Going to three services. It's already coming. It's already coming. So obviously something's happening in us. We're getting stirred up. Okay? My, my point is, I'll get off my soapbox. My, my point is, is this, is that it's hard to give, study, and say, uh, man, I, I've, Lord, I've did my best. I've prayed all week, and, and, I, and I've studied. And people, excuse me, can I, can I be real with you? Yeah. Sit their butts at home. While we're here, and I have worked my tail off to get here, fought every devil in hell to get you a word, and then you just, ah, I was tired. I was tired. I couldn't find nothing to wear. I was in a bad mood. So was I. You'll change your mood when you get in praise and worship. It'll change. Amen. I, I want to give my life to a people that are faithful and moldable and hungry and appreciative and thankful and giving. And it's happening. It's, it's actually happening. And I'm so excited about that in our house. But I wonder, because I'm sure regrets go through us all the time and through Jesus. Regrets are powerful little things that can hold up your destiny if you don't deal with it. And Philippians 3, 13, Paul said this to the church of Philippi. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I'm not spending, spending my time thinking about what I was done wrong or that. And those that know me know that is, that, those that really know me know that's not my deal. I hope it's not yours either. I hope you're not, well, I'm German, so it's hard for me to forgive. What does you being German have anything to do with that? We just hold regrets. I mean, I mean we hold unforgettable. I mean, I, I, it don't matter what race you are. It's people, man. 
And you got to deal with that. Otherwise, it ends up dealing with you and stealing your destiny as a result of it. So he said, I got to let those things go behind. And I got to pr- put pressure. I got to move forward in my calling. Uh, therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Thank you, Father. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, uh, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Here's the statement I want to make. Don't let regret hold you hostage to your past. Don't regret, regrip. Regrip and use all those things that you've been done wrong in. Regrip and use it as wisdom to attain your future. Not regret, regrip. Regret is really acknowledgement of something you would do differently if you could. The fact that you acknowledge it proves your growth. And your maturity. But if you only lament it and don't change, it will chain you to your past, cause you to repeat the cycle over and over and over again. And oftentimes we see regrets as blaring failures in our lives, coulda, shoulda, woulda. But I believe the coulda, shoulda, and wouldas are actually PowerPoints of wisdom on our journey in this life. So every time the devil says, yeah, but what about that? That I have learned from this and that and the other. They're PowerPoints to let me know. I was done wrong. I don't have to be done wrong again. They hurt my feelings. I won't get with those kind of people again. Come on, somebody. I, I could go on and on and on about all that, right? So I'm learning now. I regrip it. And I say, this is what I'm doing. I'm learned from this thing, and now I'm moving into my future. Someone can tell you that the stove is hot. But man, they can tell you that. They can even describe it to you. But until you touch the stove when it's on, you'll never appreciate how hot the stove actually got. Come on, somebody say amen to that. And now then, come on, now your experience causes you to download the unforgettable wisdom that you attain from touching the stove. So my pain actually can help me in the process of learning and growing how to do better in my life because I'll never ever. There's been a lot of things, guys, that I've heard preachers preach that have been awesome, even wrote them down. But, boy, I can't recall hardly any of it. But, boy, when I've had experiences... Oh, and I had to pull those notes back out. What did he say about this? Oh, my God. And I started putting those things into practice based on the pain I was going through. I've never, ever forgotten those truths. Somebody say amen. Paul is really a great New Testament figure to look at. Most view Paul as uh, being next to Jesus, being a tremendous um, man of God who, who received revelation from God's throne, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. The Bible said he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Yet Paul, in his day, by a lot of folks, was considered a failure and an embarrassment to the church. Why? Often, the Bible says, he was in chains. Often, he was in the water in the deep three days and three nights. Often, he received, three times, he received 39 stripes on his back. He was in prison over and over and over again, almost starved to death, bitten by a snake, left for dead, stoned to death. They had to raise him back up again. This man went through it. For a lot of people, it looked like, what kind of curse is he in? Amen. But he's following after God. He's paying a heavy price for the revelation that he's been given by God. And let me tell you something, we want revelation from God, but there's a price that comes with it. He paid a heavy price for all that. Amen. 
And so he, he says in 2 Timothy 1.16, I'll end here, verse 116, or chapter 1, verse 16, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Because so many people were ashamed of Paul. So many people had an X on his back and said, obviously God has left him because he's often bound up in chains. And we cannot be like that. When we see a brother and sister going through it and they're bound up by something, man, maybe it's not because they did something bad wrong. Maybe it's because they actually did something God wanted them to do and the enemy has attacked them. I want to tell you something, spiritual warfare is definitely going around. It is happening. It is in the atmosphere. But it's a good fight. It's a good fight. But we got to recognize sometimes the enemy takes advantage of us and pushes us to the brink. And we cannot look at that brother and sister and go, ooh, what did they do wrong? When Paul got bit by the viper, the first thing they said, they, they get superstitious. Ooh, he'd been cursed by God. He got bit by a serpent. And the Bible said he just took it and shook it off and threw it into the fire. I want to be, and I think you do too, a great finisher, not just a great starter. I want to finish my race. I want to live my life all the way. I don't want to live a day longer than I fulfill the will of God for my life. Once that happens, I can go. But until then, I, I want to give everything I can to fulfilling what God has given me because it's all about the finishing. So many people, guys, so many people start well. They really do. Their heart is good. They're in, they're in a good place, and they're so excited. But they end up and just life gets to them, and they quit, and they give up right before the miracle happens, right before the breakthrough takes place. Let's not be like that. Let's not be distracted.